0: Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure.
1: To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes.
2: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.
1: Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's give it up for our one and only super producer, the man, the myth, the legend. You know him. You know him. Super producer, Max Williams. Well, uh, well, they call me Ben. We love them.
3: I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm Noel. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah, you're Noel, and I, I love Max, too. You know, I'm trying to get more in touch with my feelings, right? It's uh, good. good thing to do. So, <laughs> so Noel, um, you and I are fans of many, many things. And I don't know about you, man, but were you lucky enough to go to the Olympics when they were held in Atlanta back in 96 or so?
0: I did not, but I remember the weird little mascot that probably cost a gazillion dollars. What is it? Izzy? He was Mm -hmm. just sort of a thing. Like it was a non, uh, what was it? There's that thing on Mr. Show, Pit Pat. He's Mm -hmm. like a a non-gendered kind of pansexual spokes thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think that is kind of what Izzy was uh, by design. Well, it's
4: supposed to be like, what is it? Izzy, what is it? Okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, you weren't supposed to know what it was. It was supposed to be like draw you in to it, and then you were supposed to try to figure out what it was. Well, and 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 the
0: collectible pins uh, proliferate our thrift shops here in the Atlanta area to this day. So
1: yeah, man, history is weird. That's kind of the point of our show. So. We were thinking about the Olympics for a while, fellow ridiculous historians. We had them on our minds, and uh, not just randomly, for good reason. You see, we are diving into a little-known story about the Olympics All the way back in 1980, and we are not doing it alone. That's correct. We are joined with the creators and the host and the producer of Eclipse, which is a weekly narrative history podcast from our good friends at Campside Media. Please welcome to the show, Bijan Steven and Lane Gerbic.
3: Thank you for having us.
0: Oh, it's great to be here. here. This is exciting. Yeah, we definitely have done plenty of Olympic episodes. There's, of course, the... Olympics that were famously in Berlin uh, under the Nazi regime. And I Infamously. believe Jesse Owens uh, won to Hitler's chagrin in the triathlon. Uh, and that's one that always uh, sticks in my mind. Uh, <laughs> but this, you know, so the Olympics have always served as kind of like a political bargaining chip in some respect. And I think we're going to jump into another story uh, with that same kind of flavor today.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So when we talk about the Olympics in 1980. There are some folks in the audience who may remember them, may have firsthand experience of reading, you know, the contemporaneous press and so and so forth. But I don't think a lot of people in 2022 just know off the top of their heads that the U.S. actually boycotted the Olympic Games. I didn't know until uh, we started chatting together. Could you tell us a little bit about how that came to be?
3: Yeah, of course. But no, that's a great question. I think um, it has to do with Jimmy Carter, the Soviet Union, and Afghanistan, which, you know, you might recognize those names. Uh, Jimmy Carter was the president of the U.S. in 1980. And in 1979, I believe, the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan and installed a new dictator. So they, like, did a coup. Mr. Carter, you know, this is the height of the Cold War, he wasn't very happy that the Soviets had done that. And the Olympics was coming up in 1980. So he was like... And it was set to be Moscow. So he was just like, well, we're not going to go because unless you fix this, unless you leave Afghanistan. And the Soviet Union was like, no. So Carter was like, okay, everybody who's aligned with the U.S., don't go to the Olympics. And it ended up being 65 countries that were just like, nah, we're not going. And we're seeing something similar right now with Russia's invasion of Ukraine
0: Mm -hmm. and a lot of like, you know, national kind of sports organizations not allowing Russian participants, and also obviously not sending anyone to any sort of things that are based in Russia.
3: Yeah, it's like, un- it's unfortunately timely, because, you know, so I th- I feel like we, Lane, like, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we, we, we do stories that like are overlooked for a reason, like not for a reason, but they're overlooked because like, they, they're not always that resonant in history. Like it's not, they don't feel current all the time. And this is, it's distressing that this one feels extremely current.
5: Yeah, like I think we were in Puerto Rico on the ground doing reporting, and there was like this big Russian flag, and it just was—it just hit us in that moment where we're like, "Time, oh, wow. time is circular. Like history definitely repeats itself.
3: <laughs> it doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. I think uh, somebody, somebody that's said true. that. Somebody smarter than I did. George Lucas. Oh no, that's something else. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's Gandhi not, probably. But yeah, it's—I mean, like the the Winter Games. Um, I guess that was last year, right? They did the makeup Winter Olympics anyway, but um, mm-hmm. Russia couldn't compete because they invaded Ukraine. Then it was like ROC was what they were competing under. Actually, mm-hmm. it was because they were aggressing at Ukraine. I don't think they invaded quite then, but it was
4: yeah. So to jump in real quick, so the reason why Russia was competing under ROC was they had been caught breaking into drug testing facilities at at the IOC and changing out the samples, but putin purposely waited for the olympics to end like it was like the week afterwards to invade ukraine because he knew he would get probably like either Mm. get china in trouble or something like that and he actually did the same thing when he invaded crimea that's interesting Mm. because
3: he he was they were definitely like making aggressive overtures at ukraine beforehand but all right well that's history
1: well i don't think we're too early in the show for it max hit us with that sound cue There it is, yeah, I guarantee. Like, this will sound, this will make sense in the edit. <laughs> uh, but one thing that really stands out to me, just to, before we dive into this story, because there is a twist. We've set up the context, but before we get to the twist, I want to zoom out just a little bit and hear more about Eclipsed because Eclipsed is taking an approach that I personally. Quite enjoy, which is saying, let's look at history. Let's look at not just historical events that maybe could bear further examination, but let's look at them in a new perspective, right? From a fresh, informed eye. And could you tell us a little bit about the inspiration that uh, led you to create Eclipse, and then led you to do your other work as well? I'm, I'm, of course, uh, I'm right now. I'm particularly thinking of. The Charming Killer episode from May 3rd, which was uh true crime author Sarah Weinman.
3: Yeah. Well, I can tell you about the genesis of Eclipse, and I think Lane can give you more insight on why we choose the things we do. Um <laughs> but yeah, the gen it was funny because like I they I, kept, I was like, Hey, do you want to host a show? And I was like, Yeah, for sure. What's it about? And they they told me like a concept, and I was like, Well, this makes sense, but I'm going to change it with the other executive producer, Michael Canyon-Meyer, who is not here today because he writes the show. Shouts to Mike. But basically, we were like, okay, we want to do something that's that's going to be interesting that we're actually interested in making. And so we sort of scrapped the original concept. The thing we kept was, this is a show about stories you never knew, you never knew. So uh, we sort of went from
5: there. Yeah, and I think, like, history has such... Uh, just There's so much to dig into. If we're talking IP, there's tons of it, right? Like, <laughs> there's tons of content to to pull from and we pick stories that we want to know more about and normally we're we're searching the web we're we're seeing what strikes our fancy and the story about this particular olympics and the stories that we choose tend to hook us so you brought up the this charming killer story uh, with Sarah Weinman. She was just an author that I admired. And we reached out to her and we saw that she had a book coming up. And I was like, this true crime is popular for a reason because it's, it's it's you know, fascinating. So we're very lucky in that we get to just follow our noses and make stories out of the stuff that we find. And that's just the, the benefit of having a weekly show, as you guys probably understand. Yeah. If you have lots of episodes, you can talk about lots of stuff
0: well, I think to Ben's point, too, that unique perspective tends to be more of an individualized perspective of, you know, people on the ground and stories that kind of get interwoven with much larger political events that are beyond the control of an individual. But when you see it through the perspective of that person, I think it makes it a little more yeah. easy to kind of identify with the larger historical context. Yeah,
3: we're de- we're very much journalists in that sense. Like, we we go and find subjects, people who live through this stuff. Like, I think one of my favorites— um, was our, or we did a story about a lake that disappeared in Louisiana. And we talked to a guy who like watched it happen. And, you know, there was a happy ending and whatnot. And uh, which maybe that's a spoiler. I don't know. It happened like 40 <laughs> years ago. Um, <laughs> but we talked to like the guy who, had, who saw it happen. And then the author who like in, in the immediate aftermath, like flew down there and wrote about it for a magazine. And that piece, you know, like, only exists basically the print copies that were made like it's not nowhere online but it's really fascinating to talk to these people who like lived through this event kind of in two different timelines but yeah so that's so that's that's i guess that's sort of our approach i don't know i feel like um we do get to follow our noses we um i went to a museum like last thanksgiving and i was like oh there's an exhibit about these two dogs why are they in there and that's an episode that's coming out soon (laughs) the two most famous dogs in san francisco
5: I got to do a whole story about hand farts. Yeah. And <laughs>
3: <We did> a, <laughs> that's
5: the history of hand farts.
3: We did a hot bev series because we were like, oh, hot beverages. <laughs> we, yeah. just, we kept coming back to it because we like we were like, okay, clearly we gotta have something better. But like we kept coming, <laughs> we just kept coming back to it. It was like, oh, this is actually kind of good. Like maybe we can do this. And now it's you can listen to it on your podcast feed. So
5: three episodes on your favorite hot bevs.
3: Yeah, hell yeah.
0: I, I feel like it. hot beverages are sort of like falling out of fashion a little bit. Or maybe, I don't know, I got to hear the episode, but it seems like everything's iced these days. You know, that's I don't know.
5: true. Got to have boba, you know?
0: I think
1: it's a, it's a fascinating point because it tells us that there is so much history behind everything. Even if you think of it as something as innocuous as that little, you know, that little plastic uh 3 prong thing that goes in the center of pizza. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, that's, that, I, I'm sure table. that ha- yeah, pizza table. Thank you, Lane. I'm sure <laughs> that thing has like some story, and there's some inventor somewhere who is
0: kind of low key famous in the field of pizza delivery. Oh, I could have sworn I saw a life hack of what that thing's actually. I bet for. it keeps
3: the pizza from getting crushed, right? Like that's it's gotta it keeps the box. Yeah, gives the box a shape.
0: Something to do with, but but surely it has a secondary use, right? Yeah, I well, don't know. It's a little table.
5: Your, yeah, your tiny. <laughs> Figurines. That's what my or sisters and I would fight like, over yeah, them. Like put a football on it, maybe. Yeah.
0: Yeah. See, I like where,
1: I, I like the way we're all thinking, right? This is almost like one of those weird tech startup interview questions. What could you do with the little pizza? <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob.
0: Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
1: The reason um, at least I personally wanted to ask about process is primarily because I see the explorations go deep every time and go in so many different directions. So the 1980 Olympics, I'm going to be honest, I'll be absolutely candid. I vaguely thought I think Carter was president then, but I didn't know. I wasn't around and then to hear that the US boycotted those Olympics and as you said like um what 65 countries mm-hmm. that that seems like a story that would have already been bigger news than than I had assumed in 2022, but that's not the twist because our astute listeners are going to are going to notice that uh you had earlier said Lane we were in Puerto Rico getting taped. So one of the first questions they would have, right? I, I hope, apologies listeners, if I'm assuming too much, uh, but I would hope one of the questions would be like, why are we in Puerto Rico, right? The Elizabeth Scooby-Doo Russia.
0: sound?
3: Mm-hmm. There it is. <laughs> it. Well, yeah, what, what's going on on the ground? Well, Ben and Noel and Max, producer Max, have I got a story for you? Um, <laughs> uh, the, the, the big. So what if I told you, you know, that there was a boycott, you know, 65 countries boycotted the 1980 Olympics held in Moscow. And, you know, the U.S. was in charge of the boycott. What if I told you American citizens went to that Olympics and competed? Right. Blow your f***ing mind.
5: Dun,
3: dun,
1: dun. Yeah, that's another. I don't know if we do the Law and Order drop or if we do the the Scooby Doo sound. Like, I, we I, got to do the the like recreated Law and Order drop. Dun, dun. We don't have the rights. Yeah, to we it can't to get. We role. don't have the rights to it. I trust your taste. <laughs> I trust I, it's going to come through in the edit. Um, but no, so we, this we, is true story.
3: This is a true story. Um, and it, it, basically, it's a, the the athletes were three boxers from Puerto Rico. They are a boxing team, and they went to the Olympics because they qualified. And they were like it was interesting because they didn't think they were doing anything political. Like they saw themselves as not political and just athletes. And there was a whole thing about this, but yeah, Lane and I went down to Puerto Rico with our translator, Alan, and we got the story. (laughs) (laughs) So this, like when
1: you're, we should mention, I believe, were you, were you all making this during the pandemic? Like during the height of it? It hasn't ended. (laughs) Yeah I, know, yeah, I know, I know, I and, know.
5: And we went at the OG peak of pandemic. Yeah, we went um in March recently. Back
1: when the pandemic had its fresh car smell, right? Mm. And everybody. Mm. So what was uh when you were traveling? How did you how did you find these boxers?
5: The internet, um, <laughs> I think originally I uh, like contact find or find the story.
1: You know, I'm I'm interested not to be too Jody Foster about it, but I'm interested in the contact aspect.
5: I think uh Bijan, correct me if I'm wrong. I think our producer Joe just like went really far into the internet. Because like, I mean, these gentlemen don't really have huge social media presences. So mm-hmm. we have like a document with like a bunch of links that are like, this could be his nephew, or I think this is a different like Luis, but maybe we should check it out. And I think it just proved really fruitful. And we got our translator slash stringer Alan to reach out and he became one of the boys by the end of the trip because he was just like cracking a beer with, with our, uh, with our subjects and yeah, shooting the shit. The Spanish. beer that
3: in, in fact was, was uh, named for their, their like, Athletic exploits. So the beer is called Medaya. If you've heard of it, um, and what? it was for these three boxers because they they like they were incredible boxers and they they medaled at the Pan American Games in 1979, which qualified them for the Olympics. So the beer is called Medaya, and it's still around, and you can drink it. It's actually delicious. Very nice light. Lager. I drank so much of it. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> I found a place in Brooklyn that has it. Just like a random bar. It's pretty good, man. The story is actually is it's very interesting. It's not just that there were like. U.S. citizens going to the Olympics, or that they were breaking the boycott, because obviously it's both of those things. But it's we realized in the course of telling the story, it's like it's actually more of a story about international politics and Puerto Rican sovereignty, and like what it means right. to be, like what it means to compete as a nation, kind of.
0: Because Puerto Rico wasn't even a, an American, you know, territory or whatever it is, till
3: 1917. I want to say yeah, something like that. I think I believe it had to do with some. Uh, there was a war. And it was a spoil of war, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, despite that history, you know, it was, it was you know, colony, the U.S. for a while. or it was a, There was a more colonial relationship, I should say. In any case, Puerto Rico has also been competing as itself on the international stage since 1948. Like since the 1948 Olympics, uh, which happened immediately after World War II. But like, it was one of those things where it's kind of a quirk of history because the reason Puerto Rico even gets to do that is because of one like intrepid guy at the International Olympics Committee who was like, hey, it'll be told the U.S. government, was like, hey, it'll be seen as a really like gracious thing for you to do. You just fought against imperialism. Why are you doing this at home? You should let Puerto Rico compete as itself because they really wanted to. And that's like how that started. So Puerto Rico has its own Olympic Committee and its own Olympic team and its own Olympic funding, hmm. which is, you know... Part of the reason why them deciding to defy the boycott was so dramatic.
0: So it wasn't like they didn't get the memo. It was an active yes. choice based on precedent.
3: Yes, and the the whole thing was like the, the governor of the island at the time, uh, this guy named Carlos Romero Barcelo, was not happy. He was a, he because like the the other thing is like this is all. I'm sorry. This is this is. I hope this is interesting. But I'm going to info dump for this. This is
1: perfect. This is perfect.
3: <laughs> but um, the whole thing was like there there are like three schools. Three main schools of thought. There are many more, obviously. But three main schools of political thought in Puerto Rico. And it basically has to do with the relationship with the U.S. So there are people who want it to be a state. There are people who want it to remain a territory. There are people who want it to be its own nation, like its own island nation. And obviously, like, this stuff gets sort of worked out in political referendums here and there. But at the time, in 1980, 1979, 1980, this guy Barcelo was a pro U.S. statehood guy. So these boxers were like, okay, we we want to go to our Olympics because we're boxers, which means we don't we only get one shot because otherwise, because right. you want to go pro and make money, a but b your career isn't that long. You know, even the yeah, best boxers, true. it's you just don't last that long because you're getting hit in the head all the time. And so they were like, we want to go to our Olympics, and this was a big deal. Um, and so they they like sort of scrounged up the money to do it. Like they, it's like they did like bootleg Kickstarter, just asking people for cash, I think. <laughs> and uh, the basketball team didn't get to go, but they were they also qualified for the Olympics. But anyway, they go, and it's just like, okay, now we're now we're athletes, we're competing there. But it's it's like a really really interesting story about statehood and about nationalism, and then there's the aftermath, which we also talked about. But I'll leave that to Lane.
0: And it's not like. America has always done super right by Puerto Rico. No. Oh, what? That's an understatement. No way. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I know. I'm sorry. I'm being diplomatic here because we're talking about diplomacy. But, you know, I mean, I I, I don't see this necessarily as an outright act of um, protest because it was based on uh, precedent. But do you think there was uh, an element of protest in this as well Uh, that even flew in the face of some of the people in power within Puerto Rico, as you say, who had a political end of their own?
5: I think it's for sure an act. I mean, I think our boxers would argue that it wasn't. But when we talked to them, they were mad at the U.S. government and they still are in some ways because this was their shot. This was their chance. And they were med- the U.S. government and these political relations were meddling so much that it's impacting their personal lives and their dreams and their hopes. So I think, yeah, the mere act of, of going, it has to be a political act, even if you say it's not. Yeah, I agree with
3: mm-hmm. that. Um, and I, I think it's, I, I think notably you can say, you, you, like even if they don't believe it, you can say that it was because a lot of people on the island still remember them and like remember like what they did. Uh, and they yeah. mostly remember the Pan American Games where they did really well, but like people still remember the 1980 Olympics. Like older people, like this one guy we spoke to named Ishmael was like, hell yeah, we're so proud of this guy, <laughs> you know? Can we introduce our
0: our heroes here? Yes. Um, just a little bit of background and names at the very least and who these guys
3: were. Yeah. Uh, so we three boxers.
5: First, we got Alberto Mercado, who is our team captain in some ways. He's, he's leading the charge. He's the most bold and brash of the three. And he has a museum that we visited. His home museum, he lives above it. Below it is this, like, it's this super packed museum with, like, newspaper clippings and awards and, like, just memorabilia from his, you know— what is it, Bijan, like 40, 40 years ago, the Olympics yeah. happened. But so, also his, his, his professional
3: that. career, too. It's mm-hmm. kind of a shrine.
1: That's amazing. That's, I mean, it, call it a museum or a shrine, but that's sort of, in some ways, that's kind of a dream job, right? I live above my museum. It's, you know, I think that's kind of cool.
3: It's definitely interesting because the museum is, was a gift from the Puerto Rican government, mm. which is complicated because that only happened like two years ago. Oh,
5: yeah. So. Before, yeah.
3: So there's uh, like, okay. there's a lot of feelings. They have a lot of feelings about their own government too. But our second boxer is Jose Molina, who was like a, he was a light heavyweight. I think Mercado was like a flyweight, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, Molina was the heaviest light heavyweight, great boxer. But he, he, you know, he lives like with his family. Like, so th- one thing to understand is like the, they they. Half of the story is about how they had to like live afterward, after like going to the Olympics and making this Mm -hmm. big name for themselves. And the third boxer is Luis Pizarro, who was the youngest. He was like, how? He was, he must have been like 18 or something.
5: He was like 16 at the time. He was super, he was a teenager. He like, okay. Yeah. I was worried about going to prom at that age. He's worrying about competing in the Olympics, kind of thing. So a real
0: phenom. I mean, like yeah, you know, like high hopes, high yeah. hopes for this kid. Yeah. yeah,
5: and
1: and the geopolitical ramifications of being of being yeah. in the Olympics. That's, I mean, that's a trip for sure. I love that you point out that a great deal of the story is about the aftermath, which you've, we've alluded to just just a bit here. The question then becomes, like as you said. I would agree that on some level all acts are inherently political acts depending on the perspective one wants to place them in but with this what I'm hearing is these three guys who are scrappy right and say hey we're not we're not giving up our chance because we're well aware of how short a boxing career can be they say okay we hear you one of the world's most dangerous superpowers but we're going and then we're coming back were there like attempts at consequences or was, you know, Jimmy Carter's got that stereotype of being kind of a milk dose, but did he go I was going to ask
0: about like a boycott isn't inherently like litigious. I mean, it's more of like a symbolic act, right? Like, is there, is there built in, are there built in consequences for defying a quote unquote boycott? It's not the same as like an embargo. I mean, it's more of like a, uh, an agreement that you kind of make verbally and everyone's just like, we're patriotic. So obviously we're not going to do it. Sort of like crossing a picket line.
5: Yeah, I think it it was like it was a soft power move. Like there's no they're not getting arrested when they get off the plane when they come back. But like their countrymen, like a lot was at stake for them to go to Russia because of the relationship with the U.S. This like, you know, like you said, like unwritten these like these unwritten laws that you're breaking because the U.S. government is providing them federal resources like Medicare, Medicaid. Like if they go and they harm this relationship, then their neighbors and their families might not have access to the the resources that they need. So that was kind of the pushback that they were getting when they were deciding to go. And then when they came back, um, I think there were different camps about whether or not it was worth it,
3: yeah, yeah. But the, it was like a real, a real implicit threat. They were getting, they were getting threats too. Like they're, the um the government, mm. the Puerto Rican government was like pressuring Mercado's parents, for example. And his parents were like, "You, you can go again in four years. Just wait." Um, there was at least one bomb threat. I think we we heard from them. Um,
5: Mercado lost his job, and I think Molina's job was threatened too mm-hmm. um, because they're not professional boxers at this time; they're amateurs,
3: right? Because the Olympics is an amateur. It's like the Olympics is an amateur competition. Specifically. And so if you go pro, you can't compete in the Olympics, but it's, this was also like, I think, I think the few years, the f- four years before, I want to say 76 was um, like, I think it was one of the, it was televised and like these boxers were boxing in front of a huge international audience. And so when they went pro after the Olympics, they got hu- bigger, much bigger paydays. So there's like a real financial incentive to compete in the Olympics as a boxer because you can demand bigger purses and better fights so like, well, and that, I mean, like maybe
0: unlike other sports, like football, for example, I mean that really is the door opener for a professional career. Yeah, is, is being a on the on the Olympic team. But like film festivals, for example, there are qualifying events. Like in order to be considered for the Oscars, you have to win or compete within like some other uh, accepted you know film festival. That's the case here as well. Can you talk about the the games that led to their uh, qualification for the Olympics?
3: Yeah. The main ones were probably the Pan-American Games in 79, which uh, happens on a four-year cycle. It's a, it follows the Olympic Charter. It's the same sort of event. And uh, I believe, I think two of them won gold. They, they got a bunch of medals. Uh, they came back with a couple of golds.
5: Seven medals total. Yeah. Nice. A couple
3: golds, some silvers, mm-hmm. and a Thanks bronze,
1: something like that.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Better than I've done. Yeah, right. <laughs> Pan Am Games.
3: Same. Uh, and it's, it was, I mean, it's a big deal. It's the same, it's the same sort of, but it's like, it's, it's region, it's a more regional games. Um, the U S does actually compete in the Pan American games. So these, I think one of the the subtexts is that these boxers were competing against like other American citizens in the games for like a spot on the podium. And all of those people who competed for the U S like the basketball team and the boxing team or whatever, they didn't get to go to the Olympics. And, you know, there's a there's a really poignant ESPN article about it from like early, the early 2000s that like talks to those people, those boxers. And they, they're really like upset that they didn't get to go because it like it derailed their careers, you know, in a sense. I mean, because you still, you know, you go pro and things sometimes work out.
1: This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where
0: America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
1: And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com.
0: Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
2: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year
1: So there's something that really catches me about this story even just cursory looking into it before talking to the experts here on this show and it is exactly what you described Jean the larger context for anyone who maybe is listening and is not familiar with US Puerto Rican relationships uh, intentions for a very very long time longer than any of the five of us on the show today have been alive there have been those three camps, right? And sometimes they fluctuate in strength, pushing for statehood, pushing for remaining a territory, or pushing for independence. But I've been lucky enough to go to Puerto Rico in the in the past. And when people were in there, I think I think folks forget that being a territory brings its own kind of inherent baked in inequalities, right? On multiple multiple levels, you know? And when we hear these boxers say, okay, I am a, an athlete. I am not a politician. Don't put that on me. Did you feel that they held to that that belief of 40 years on, or did you feel that they, they had a particular position in this regard as they look back on the events of 1980?
5: I mean, I think I asked uh, Alberto if he ever considered running for office because he was such a public-facing figure. He did make these big, these big moves um, on the international level, and he didn't have any interest in that. I think they all really wanted to be boxers because this was their their thing. This was their their dream. And the other two, I mean, Luis moved to Massachusetts, so he's not in Puerto Rico anymore. And uh, Molina is perfectly content to. You know, he he worked a a job at a shipyard and retired, and he helped his brother become a world champion. I mean, I would say he's political, but I I don't think he, you know, that's not what he wants to be known for. I think he wants to be known for being a, a prideful, like a person who did his country proud, and his country is not the U.S., it's Puerto Rico.
0: Yeah. And I believe in the the Pan Am games, the governor kind of got a bad rap because he wanted to fly the American flag and not the Puerto Rican
3: so flag. So that is a legal thing. Like, legally, you're not allowed mm. to fly the Puerto Rican flag by itself. You have to fly it beside or underneath the American flag. Um, okay. But... But still, it but it, flew, it flew booed, in the, right? Yeah, he got booed for like 12 minutes. Like, he couldn't give a speech. Jeez, um, but this, this also flew in the face of, like, you know, all of that precedent since 1948. He tried to pull this stunt, you know, because Puerto Rico, again, competed under its own flag for so long. And it's just like, why is this guy doing this? Like, and, you know, he was a pro-statehood guy. He really wanted, he wanted everyone to fall in line. There's a phrase
0: that you use, soy olimpico, no politico. Mm-hmm. Um, can you kind of explain what that means uh literally, and also just how that kind of translates into the trajectory of the story?
5: Yeah, it means I'm an Olympian, not a politician, and that was a sign we saw at Alberto Mercado's museum. It was kind of tucked away in a corner um when we asked them about it, and there's this this really interesting story about when they were boarding the plane to flee Puerto Rico because they were they needed to train in Mexico before the Olympics because they were afraid that if they stayed in Puerto Rico, they weren't going to be able to go, like they would be n- not allowed to leave. So they're boarding this plane to Mexico and a stranger walks up to Mercado and he hands them this sign. And it's like the sign itself is like kind of like scrawled. It's not like great penmanship, and it's just this this random dude just made a sign and handed it to him. And then Mercado was like, I'm going to keep the sign. And he like would flash it to the press. And it kind of became uh. his motto. We don't know who the guy is. So if you're listening and you remember doing that, feel free to, to hit us up. We'd love to talk to you. We would.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I know we're talking extensively about this, but when you check out the way that Eclipse approaches all these stories, trust us. You're only, here, you're only scratching the surface right now, fellow Ridiculous Historians, and you need to check out the show as soon as you can. I mean, please do us a favor and listen to the end of this episode, you know. But, <laughs> but, uh, but do make sure that the next podcast you listen to after this episode is eclipsed. Um, there is one note I wanted to add that I, I wanted to ask you all about, Jean and Lane, and, and it's something that stood out to me in some of the, the notes that you all had sent us, um, where you say, you know, looking at the way the U.S. had treated Puerto Rico over decades and decades, it kind of could make sense to understand the perspective of why boxers would, quote unquote, defy the president. Right. Uh, the line that stood out was it, I'll say it. He wasn't going to do shit for Puerto Rico either way. Right. What is that perspective? Was there the idea that they would somehow be awarded for falling in line, or it would be geopolitically favorable, or were they just like these people
3: don't care about us to begin with? That's a great question. I mean, I, I think I think it's the latter. I think it's just like, yeah, you know, we we can do this, but I like they don't care anyway. Why would they care now? Kind of thing. I think that was sort of the impression. That was the impression that I got at least um, of how they felt. But it was it was very much like you know, these people who, who are like, like are these imperialists don't really do anything for Puerto Rico except things that are punitive. So why should we, why should we listen to them?
5: Yeah. Mercado had this quote that we didn't get to work in, but I really liked it where he was, he was saying um, the government wants the cage, but not the animals. So they want the land. They want the island. They don't want the people on the island. And like being there, I could feel that like, Hurricane Maria, like, destroyed the island, and you can still tell, like, the infrastructure is crumbling, like, their house is still boarded up, like, it's a really beautiful island, and everyone was so kind to us and, like, welcoming, and I just, like, I don't know. I, I was really glad we got to talk to people who lived there for the story, because I think if not, it would have felt wrong. <laughs> yeah.
0: Wasn't that when Trump did the photo yes, op it tour where he was just, like, tossing rolls of toilet paper, mm-hmm. like yep. a- Chump, mm-hmm. yeah, that was bad optics on so many levels. Yeah. Uh, but then when you look at the history of the imperialism and all of that, and, and what you're saying, like, I mean, it really hits yeah. harder, especially if you it's live there. Can you
1: imagine bad optics from a bad person?
0: I'll say it. I'll
1: be the one.
3: But it exemplifies like the relationship the U.S. has with the island. It's just that was just a literalization of mm-hmm. it. It's like we'll throw you some shit and then leave, and it's like not enough, mm-hmm. and you need more, and you need like sustained help, and you know you're never gonna get it. But yeah, it was, it was again, like this is, this is part of the reason the story is so interesting was because that, that stuff started opening up to us as we were down there reporting and as we were putting the story together when we got back. It was just like, right, this is, we thought this was a sports story. This is actually a story about like what it means to like be a colonial subject almost. <laughs> yeah.
1: Just so, and this is, this is one of the things that I think you all do so well. You finding, as you'd said at the top of this episode, the story kind of within the story, the facts that get kind of swept away amid headlines and news cycles. And, you know, I, I don't want to fanboy too much, Bijan, but uh, for people who don't know, you are a pretty prolific writer. You've been widely published in, let's see, uh, I'm going to make it awkward to name some things in front of you. The Believer, The uh, Verge, GQ, I think as well. And I do want, I'm sure a lot of people want to ask you specifically, what do you see as some of the key differences from uh, telling a story in a print medium in comparison to telling a story in a podcasting audio medium, like Eclipsed?
3: That's a great question. Um, uh, I will say, so like, yeah, I, I help write the show. I've written some episodes, um, but the majority are written by, um, or at least the structure and drafts are written by Mike Meyer, who is fantastic writer. He's also like a former journalist, but I will say from my experience, you know, writing for print magazines and blogs and stuff over the last decade or so, um, the difference is you can't like, you have to both fit in very like, you have to simplify very complex ideas and you can't use language to like layer in many points in a sentence. You have to like, you have to like break things down to their sort of barest essence and then say that. Um, And we spend a lot of time figuring out the simplest way to say things that still makes sense and is still accurate and still, you know, but like, it's, it's difficult. I, I think the thing that I've learned is I have a lot of respect for people who write podcasts. Uh, and it's it, well, it's not to say you can't like skim an article, but you certainly can. But like
0: listening, sometimes people will listen a little yes. passively or while doing other stuff. So you have to like things have to be pretty dense uh, in terms of like grabbing you and making you pay attention and giving you the information you need relatively quickly in case you drift off. And you also kind of sometimes have to reel people yes. back in and remind people exactly. Who you and,
3: are. <laughs> That's a thing. It's, you uh, it's, it's, I think I think it's exemplified by like uh, this American life because they, they that's a radio show, right? Sure, so mm-hmm. they have all these hooks for people to yeah. get into the episodes, and I, I've always admired how they how they layer those in. Um luckily, you know, I think podcasting is obviously people drift off or whatever, but our episodes are like 15-20-ish minutes long, so it's not like you know, if you if you miss something, it's you can go back and get it. Or or not. We have <laughs> recaps, you know? Well, <laughs>
1: <like>. <laughs> yeah. And we're, and we're, um, we, I know we've been going a little bit long, but we were so excited to explore this story with you all today. Uh, you've been so generous with your time. Uh, and we hope, <laughs> we want to first thank you for classing up our little podcast. <laughs> uh, so, can you tell us, uh, can you tell us each, uh, Lane and Bijan, a little bit more about where people can find your work and find you
3: online if they'd like to learn more about your process? Great question.
5: Go for it, Bijan. You, you go first. Yeah,
3: for sure. Yeah, you can find me online um, at Bijan Steven, most places. B-I-J-A-N-S-T-P-H-E-N. It's like Twitter, Twitch, or whatever. But yeah, I'm I'm online. I My work, I, I usually, I collect it on my website, which is in my Twitter bio. I don't, if you Google me, you'll find it. It's like, it's not that hard to find.
5: And uh, I'm at Lane Gerbig on Twitter. Um, and that's, I mean, you can Google it. But I used to have a website, but I didn't pay for it. So <laughs> good luck. <laughs>
0: Well, it's a website. <laughs> yeah. l- l- lately,
3: people call them like micro sites. Yeah. I always
0: think yeah. that's a funny. Lane, joke. I have
3: a I have a Tumblr. It's like it's fine. Oh,
0: it's uh,
5: just like Tumblr. I don't know. Remember man. Tumblr? But, I should you know, just do that. L-
0: Like we said, I mean, listening to the episode, you're going to get a lot more perspective uh, outside of what we talked about here today. We're not giving you kind of the big final conclusion here. We just wanted to kind of tee it up and talk about some of the ways that you guys find your stories and that you tell your stories and, you know, introduce us to your characters. But please go check out this episode and the show uh, immediately. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, of course. And uh, folks,
1: we're going to be tuning into Eclipse just like you. We, uh, we... Didn't try to negotiate for spoilers on future seasons or episodes. We'll be (laughs) listening along right there with you. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Jean Lane, thank you so much. Uh, Thanks, of course. uh, Noel, uh, should we rattle off the list? Oh, you know what we should have done? We should have had Jonathan Strickland.
0: On as no, the twister, no, 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 we don't want to. No, <laughs> that would be it's unfair. It's fine. It's it's fine that we didn't do that. Uh, but thanks to Alex Williams who composed our theme, Max Williams uh, of the Williams uh, tribe, who is our super producer. We've already thanked Christopher Asiotis here in spirit. Eve's Jeff Coat. Uh, who else? All the hits. Um, but you can also find Ben and I as individuals on the internet. I am on Instagram exclusively at How Now Noel Brown. Ben, where can folks find you?
1: If you want a preview of the strange things I'm getting into, both on this and other shows, as well as my adventures, as long as I can legally post them, you can find me on Instagram. We're in a burst of creativity. I'm calling myself at Ben Bolin, B-O-W-L-I-N. You can find me on Twitter where I'm at Ben Bolin, H-S-W, because there was another Ben Bolin. I know you, man. I'll find you. It's always... has got a doppelganger
4: lurking no, somewhere Max, there.
1: You, Max, you're on Twitter as well. That's, that's the main the main reason people go to Twitter nowadays.
4: Yeah, you can find me at Twitter at, at ATL underscore Max Williams, where I will mostly just retweet stuff about sports and troll Ben Bullen because... Let's be honest. He fully needs it.
1: No, yeah. Well, you're you're going to troll Lane and, and Bajan after this. I, I would hope. <laughs> oh, absolutely that's, not. That's they seem of... like
4: lovely people. <laughs>
1: ah, come they on, like man.
4: I have followed both of them on Twitter, but no, no, I would not troll them. You <laughs> deserve right. it. All you right. You well,
1: Everybody stay tuned for our next episode where we're diving into the story of Nancy Wake.
0: We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
2: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table.